So uh, this morning may be a good time to kind of refocus uh, Luke and True Story and why we called it True Story and all that stuff. Um, if you've been with us any at all since last December, it's almost been a year since we started studying the book of Luke. And what, what you've seen, we used to say we've done Luke. The, um, how many of you, I hate to, don't raise your hand, don't make you do that. How many of you remember doing Acts? We went through the book of Acts and it was like 35, 36 weeks of Acts. It was up in the coffee shop. And what I remember about that study was when we had special days like, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, um, something was happening in our country. It just seemed like we would come to church and we would start at the next section of Acts and it would just speak to that. Do you remember that? I mean, you've probably, you've probably experienced that in your personal devotions where you're not, you're not searching Scripture, hunting for a specific passage, but you're maybe just reading through a book or you're reading through Psalms or maybe you're on new version doing a reading plan. And it's just amazing how what you read on that day speaks to where you are. And so this morning, um, you know, when we look at this passage in Luke chapter 11, we'll be verses 14 through 28, and I'm really just going to focus on two verses so there's plenty of scripture for you to examine on your own, okay, or, or to dig into deeper in community group. I think what we're going to find is there's, there's not a better passage of scripture for us to be in after what our country experienced this past week. Because I don't know if you noticed this or not, but our country doesn't get along. <laughs> Have you noticed this? Even from the other side of the globe, I noticed that. Because there was this thing that happened this past week. And it was, it was clear, like distinctly two sides, right? Like there was one side that was, that was hoping for one thing, and there was another side that was hoping for another thing. And then, and then Duke beat Carolina. And then... And then yeah. Oh, you thought I was talking about the election. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm confused. Man, there is so much that we don't, that we don't agree on. There's so much that we... We don't see eye to eye on, and, and I want you to know this. If you're unchurched, if you, if you don't do church, and you're sitting here, you visited with us today, somebody's bribed you to come to church, you're, you're thinking right now, oh, great, another white pastor going to preach a political message, and I'm not. I, I, I'm, don't take this the wrong way. I'm kind of at ease with a divided country because I think as long as we have the political system in place that we do, we're going to have that. I'm not okay with a divided church. And so this morning, I, I really feel like God's got a word for the church, our church specifically, because I'm preaching to you guys, but I think just for the church in our country. I think, you know, our country will survive heated elections, right? But we won't survive it if the church is divided. And so this morning, we're in Luke chapter 11. I feel like for me, when I pick up the Bible and I read and I go, wow, like this is a like when we started back in December, somehow God orchestrated it. We would be right here in this passage today. This is what makes me believe the Bible's true, right? I mean, and that's the whole reason we're doing Luke. It's why it's called True Stories, because they're investigating the claims of Jesus. Like, is he really who he says he is? And, and man, when I read the Bible and know that, man, God's speaking directly to where we are today on this specific morning. I just have more and more confidence that this is a living document. It speaks to us right where we are. And so um, this morning, I just have, I have a, a, a big idea. I, got, I think you got five things on your sheet, sheet to fill out. Um, I, I don't know, man, give me some grace. I just want to kind of work through this and make sure that I say it clearly and that you understand it and that I've, I've given you something 
some meat that you can sink your teeth into and go back out that door and go love a country that needs the grace of God. Does that make sense? So we're in Luke chapter 11. Um, I, I think when we talk about division, we talk about uh, divided um, country, a divided church. Luke chapter 11, if you've got an NIV, you'll notice the heading is Jesus and Beelzebub, which is an awful name. Nobody wants to, never name your kid Beelzebub, right? Um, that's another term for Satan, for the enemy. And so that's what this passage is all about. What you'll find is in the context of it, Jesus is performing miracles. He's driving demons out of people. And the religious leaders who don't like what he's doing actually start saying, oh, well, I know how you're driving out those demons. You're driving out demons by the power of Satan. And so Jesus, he says two specific statements that we're going to look at today. And, and so the overall theme here is he's talking about division and unity and power. And, and like he says, basically, you've probably heard this, a house divided against itself will fail will fall it can't stand and that's where the, that's where that that phrase you've heard all your life it comes from this passage of scripture because Jesus turns to these religious leaders and he says listen if I'm driving out demons by the power of Satan then that makes no sense and that's what you've always wanted to say to people that think they're smart right you've always wanted to look at people that think they're smart and say what you're saying makes no sense they're saying your your power you're using Satan's power to drive out Satan he's like do you hear what you're saying? It doesn't add up. If I'm using Satan's power against Satan, then his kingdom is divided. And if the kingdom's divided against itself, it cannot stand. A house divided against itself will fall. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's, in reality, he's admitting this. The Bible that you hold in your hand, especially in the New Testament, there are, there are, they're called epistles. They're letters. They're letters that Paul wrote, that Peter wrote that John wrote, and they wrote them to churches. And do you know, almost every one of the letters in the New Testament were written because of a disagreement. And we say this all the time. Uh, people come to church, and they stay for a little bit, and then something happens in church, and somebody says something, and you get a little bit, you know, your, your um, feathers get ruffled, and so you take your ball and go home, right? And we, say, we try to say all the time, like, if you're in a building, and there are more than one person there, if there is more than one, are more Jet lag, whatever. So let's go with it. If there's more than one person in the room, there's going to be a disagreement. At some point, there's going to be disagreement. I mean, listen, this is America, right? We can't even agree on who has the best fries, Burger King or McDonald's. Whoever said McDonald's, exactly. So it's not surprising that we would also not be able to agree on even weightier spiritual issues. It should not be a surprise that we don't always agree. And Jesus is saying, look, there's going to be times that you don't agree, but a house divided against itself can't stand. And then he says that the second statement, the first was in verse 17. I want you to look at verse 23, chapter 11, verse 23. This is really the one that I want us to hit this morning. Jesus says this, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, if you are a black and white individual, right? Some of us, um, if you're artsy, you're probably not black and white. But if you're a black and white individual, it has to be this way or this way. Then you've probably already highlighted this verse. This is your life verse, right? Because it's an either or thing. And Jesus is saying very clearly, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering, right? Um, Parents, when your house needs to be cleaned, 
and you ask your children for help. How long until you go back to your children and say, you're not helping me. You're making a bigger mess, right? You're either helping me clean or you're making the job harder. And Jesus is saying, either you're gathering with me or you're scattering. And that's really what I want us to focus on this morning. I want to give you your big idea first. I'll give you these five statements and we'll kind of work through it. Here's your big idea. God's answer is greater than our agenda. God's answer is greater than our agenda. Now listen, there are, everybody's got agendas, right? Everybody's got, there's always agendas. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll reference the election because it's the obvious illustration. All of us can hear it. We can all see it. You've watched the news. We're all sick of it. But it's clear that there were two agendas, right? Everybody's got agendas. And even in the church, you can have an agenda. Now, your agenda is probably not um, Republican or Democrat in the church. In the church, your agenda might be nursery workers, right? If you're over nursery, your agenda is, I need to get nursery workers. Um, if you're over missions, your agenda might be mission trips. If you're, a first, if you're over first impressions, your agenda might be, I need more greeters. I know for a fact if you're back working over sound, audio, video, your agenda is we need a new cable. I mean, there's, everybody's got agendas. That's not a bad thing. But what we're going to see here, what Jesus is saying is, but God's answer is better than our agenda. Jesus says, you're either gathering with me or you're scattering. You're either helping me with the harvest or you're making it harder for us to harvest. Does that make any sense at all? Okay. So here we go. Here's five things, five statements. And hopefully, hopefully each of these will kind of shed more and more light on that big idea. And then we'll pray. Here's number one. If, if we believe that God's answer, and God's answer is his name is Jesus, and the action is the cross. So you're going to hear me talk about Jesus and the cross and the gospel a lot this morning. And when I say those words, if these are terms you're not familiar with, this all pointing back to what Jesus did on the cross. God had a world full of messed up people, full of sin. And so his answer to that problem was, I'm sending my son, John 3, 16. And he's going he's gonna to be killed on the cross. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. And I'm going to reconcile men back to me and back to one another because of what Jesus did. His answer was Jesus. His answer was the cross. And that answer is better than our agenda. Okay. All right, here we go. Here's five things that will be true in our lives if we allow the cross to be greater than our personal preference. Here's number one. Being righteous is more important than being right. Being righteous is more important than being right. Um, I'm gonna, there's a ton of scripture, and I think they're up on the screen. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is death. Sometimes our need to be right can actually lead us the wrong way. I'm sure that many of you have experienced this, um, kind of winning an argument but losing a friendship. Being right and then being alone. Now, sometimes you have to stand alone on principle. I get that. But, man, sometimes we're just right and we fight about it so much that by the time we convince people that we are right, they just th they're just convinced that we're jerks. And then they don't want to be around us. So when we, that's making our agenda more important than the cross. But when we accept the fact that what Jesus did, his answer to our problem is greater than our agenda, then being righteous in God's eyes is going to be way more important than being right in man's eyes. Now that I'm older, 
I realize that some of the folly of youth is to always need to be right. Paul wrote this to, second in, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He said this, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. One of the, we read youthful passions and we think physical passion, right? But one of the youthful passions is this passion, and it's a passion, this passion to be right. This passion to understand everything. And it's impossible. God can't be understood like that. And so Paul is writing to young Timothy and he says this, man, flee that. Run away from this youthful passion, this need to be right, to understand everything and pursue righteousness. Pursue this relationship that you have with God because of what Jesus did. Pursue that. Being righteous is more important than being right. Romans 5.1 talks about the righteousness in Christ leading us to peace. So listen to this statement. Being righteous leads to peace. Needing to be right leads to fights. Now you tell me which is going to be more effective in our culture. I say being righteous. And when we accept the cross as God's answer, and we allow that to have more weight in our lives than our own personal agenda, who won, who do we want to win, then suddenly the need to be right, we don't, we don't want to fight about that anymore. Being righteous is more important than being right. Here's number two. This is about unity. Unity is huge. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about you're either with me or you're against me. He's like, look, there's, we, I've, got to have, I've got to have unity on my team. Like you're either with me or you're against me. Here's the second one. Being one is more important than winning. Being one is more important than winning. Unity is so much more important than doing what I want to do. Listen to this statement. Um, it's, it's hard to sum the gospel up with individual wins because so much of the gospel is about us and not me. This is an American problem, okay? is that we have made Christianity an individual sport. But it's not. It's a team sport. When you read the Bible, it's about the body of Christ. When you make it about you, you start to say things like this. I don't need to go to church. I am the church. Okay, I get it. You are the church. You're the body of Christ. But you know what? There's something about being in a room with other people who are also the church that helps us grow our faith. We start to say, I'll just take my ball and go home and watch Joel, right? I'll watch Charles Stanley. I'll watch fill in the blank of a much better speaker than you're getting this morning. But what we miss is that being one team is more important than individually winning. It's, it's community. My wins are not as important as the unity of the team. Paul faced this issue in, with a church in Rome. So in Rome, people were eating and drinking whatever they wanted. They weren't thinking about how that might affect other people. So individuals were winning. And right now, if you're really hungry and you were eating, you'd be like, yeah, I'm winning, right? This is good stuff. You're drinking. You're doing whatever you want. So personally, you're winning. And Paul wrote this, um, Romans chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. This is the advice that Paul gave to these Romans who were winning individually. 
at the expense of the people that they were in community with. He says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of, if you're following along, what's that word? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. He says, look, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of doing what you want. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and love. This is in context of him giving instructions to people who are weak in the faith and strong in the faith. And how are they supposed to get along together? And Paul's saying, look, unity is what it's about. The kingdom of God is about mutual edification, being one And unity is more important than winning individually. Here's number three. This is longer, but I gave you most of the words. You don't have to fill in a lot of blanks. I love this one. The difference grace makes in us is more important than the differences issues can cause between us. I will say that one again, and you will say amen because it's really good. I never ask you to say amen, but this is a good one. The difference grace makes in us is more important than the differences issues can cause between us. That's good. That's really good. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, Paul is sharing his testimony. And he's talking about, honestly, he's talking about what a great Pharisee he was. About how he kept, kept all the laws and how he, from a young child, was, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he just goes into all the stuff that he did. And he's talking about if anybody could have confidence in who they are and in what they were, have done it would be him he he highlights all the difference differences between who he was and who he the readers are and listen there are differences between us right okay I'll just say that again and I'll come around to the front so you can actually know that I mean it there are differences between us right I would say this let's just talk about the election I would I would be willing to guess that if we could just find out instantly how everybody voted, put up on a big screen, our church possibly pretty evenly split. So in India, as I'm reading Facebook posts, and as I'm flying back on Tuesday, and as I'm landing, as I'm, I'm checking Facebook, here, here's just a typical picture of my Facebook feed. My Facebook feed, all the friends, uh, the hundreds of friends that I actually know, and the thousands of friends that apparently I'm friends with but have never met. Pretty evenly split. Now, it's possible that some of you have a Facebook feed full of people that think just like you. And so you're out of touch with reality. I read both sides because I've got people that love Jesus on both sides of the issue. And, and the more I read on Facebook, the more grieved I got, which is maybe what Facebook does nowadays. Because what I saw, and again, if I just totally tick you off, I get it, man. There's tons of churches. Pick one. I don't want you to leave, but I get it. What grieved me was this. And if you, okay, I'm giving so many disclaimers. You're going to have to whisk me out of here when I'm done, right? Just take me out. I need secret service today. If, if you posted something like this on Facebook, don't be offended, okay? Just hear what I'm saying, okay? Please hear my heart. What grieved me after the election were were posts like this. Boy, God spared us. Join us tonight at church as we pray and celebrate what God has done. 
Well, God answered our prayer. What? That's like if we'd have been in Denver at the end of the Super Bowl and people in Denver had posted that God answered their prayer because Denver won the Super Bowl. As a Panthers fan, I would want to punch them in the throat. As a pastor who is friends with other pastors, I know people who love Jesus passionately who voted differently. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Do I call a prayer meeting to thank God for answering my prayer? Which just highlights how he didn't answer your prayer. And how does that create unity in the body of Christ? See, I don't know if you think about it like that, but I do. And I grieve what I see in our country. And I think that what happens is we allow the differences between us to overshadow the difference that grace has made in us. What I love about Paul in Philippians chapter 3 is that he's sharing his testimony. And he's basically saying this. I was good. I was a Pharisee. And you were not. And he's highlighting this potential division between him and his readers. Well, I was a real Christian and I voted for fill in the blank. Because only real Christians vote in for fill in the blank. But all of you other loser Christians who don't really love Jesus voted for fill in the blank. And he sums it all up like this. But whatever was to my gain, I now consider loss. For the sake of knowing Christ. I forget what was behind. And I press on to obtain Christ. He takes the differences between them. And he, he says, forget that for a second. And let's talk about the difference that the grace of God is making in us. And I would just challenge you with this, okay? Application number one. Get to know people who aren't like you. Get to know people who aren't like you, who love Jesus and don't think like you do. And maybe you'll like it, probably you won't, because it'll stretch you. It'll stretch you. I can already sense it. Our church will be much smaller next week. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <laughs> People are like, really? Will, will, will well, I'm not coming back, and I'm the preacher. <laughs> I might not have a choice. Uh, let me just make this one, this one last statement, and then um, we'll move on to number four. The greater the differences between us, the greater the need to hear stories of how God's grace is changing us. Say it one more time. You might want to write that one down. The greater the differences between us, the greater the need to hear stories of how God's grace is changing us. Get to know people. Ask them their story. Here's number four. A family committed to unity it's more important than an enemy committed to division. A family committed to unity is more important than an enemy committed to division. And, and we know, listen, from John 10.10, 10, it says the thief comes to 
Oh, okay, I thought, I thought it said a thief comes to throw a party and give ice cream. No, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Our, our enemy wants to divide, right? I mean, you know this, don't you? I mean, I know the lights are bright, but can, you know this, right? You shake your head, you know this. Our thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We have a real enemy, and he wants to kill you. We have a real enemy, and he would like to destroy the church, and he would like to destroy the witness of the church in our culture. And so he has one game plan, and it is to divide. It's to divide and conquer. This is not anything brilliant. This is just this is strategy, right? Like if you're, if you're in a war, that's how you defeat your enemy. You divide them and you conquer them. Because when they're divided, they're not as strong. But when there's unity, when there's unity, and I believe this, a family committed to unity is more important than an enemy committed to division. I would say a family committed to unity is more powerful than an enemy committed to division. If our enemy could step in right now and try to divide a church, he cannot do it when we're committed to unity. He can't. Will he still try? Absolutely. Will he use Trump to do it? As much as he'll use Hillary. And whoever's next, and whoever's next, and whoever's next, he's always looking to divide. And we've got to not take that bait. As a church here at the gathering, but those of you that watch this online later, I mean, as the church in America, we've got to not take that bait. We've got to hold tight. It's like um, Red Rover, right? When you played Red Rover, uh, do we even play that in school or is that now deemed too dangerous? Is it? We are one wussy country. Um, So... We'll edit that out. It's all good. We'll edit it. See, that's the only thing you're going to remember from the day. That's it. Like, Paul preached about something. I wasn't listening. He said wussy. But, um, so, Red Rover, right? Like, when I was growing up back before electricity, when we played Red Rover, like, when it was time to hook up, do you know, whoever the captain of the team was, here's what they did not do. I'm not going to pull people up as an illustration because I don't want to offend anybody. But they would not do this. They would not put three strong people together and then five weak people together. Because if you know anything about Red Rover, you're toast, right? So what would they do? They would take the weakest people, and they would put them in between the strongest people, and then pray their arms didn't get broken, right? I mean, I'm telling you, man, I can remember, because I was one of the weaker people, I, I didn't even hold on. They held on to me, right? And it's just like, oh, God, that hurts so bad. But like, if, I was, if we lost Red Rover on my team, it was not because my hand came out of their hand. It was because my shoulder popped off, right? <laughs> like, they would break through the line like, well, I got Paul's arm, you know. It's crazy. This is exactly how it's got to be in the church. We've got to be committed to unity. We've got to be committed to unity. I love how Andy Stanley says it, that there's always a gap between what you expect and what you experience. And the question is, what do you put in the gap? Do you assume the worst or believe the best? We've got to be a church that believes the best. We've got to believe the best. And what I've seen this past week, and it doesn't even matter what party you're with, and it's not a party at all, what I've seen is assuming the worst. I've seen posts that would lead you to believe that if you voted for a certain candidate, there's no way you can be a Christian, as if somehow our voting record secures our salvation. I thought we believed in salvation by grace alone. And I've seen these kind of posts. 
And that's assuming the worst. We want to be a church that believes the best about people. That believes the best about the power of God to work in a heart. And it does mean that we will not always understand each other. But I believe this, man, Colossians 3.14. Paul's conclusion to an entire chapter. Again, I told you at the beginning, most of the letters in the New Testament were written in response to disagreements. They were written in response. If Paul was alive to, well, I mean, I'm Paul, but if the real Paul was alive today and could write to the church in America, he would be writing a letter helping us understand how to live unified going past what we just experienced. That's what he'd be writing about. So don't think for a second that disagreements are unchristian. No, disagreements are human. How we handle them is what marks us as Christians. And so Paul's writing to the Colossians. And in chapter 3, he's had an entire chapter about one another's and relationships. And how do we do this? How do we live together as a body? And in the middle of, of all that, at the end of it, Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, he says this. Man, I should have had it ready to go when I said this because I had that was such a good intro. Colossians 3, 14. He says, and over all these put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love because love binds everything together in unity. Like love is like super glue. How many of you, have, you like super glue? You ever get it on your finger? Like, and you panic, like how am I ever going to get this off? Like, I'm going to pull the skin off, right? Super glue is strong. I mean, it's super strong. Like you can, I've heard stories that you can put it on top of like a, a hard hat and hang from a, a steel beam and hold on to the hat like that and swing your legs like crazy. <laughs> Just Google it. Jeez, slow crowd. It's strong. Super glue is strong. And when he says put on love, because love binds everything together in unity. When I read that verse, what I always picture is, I know you can picture putting on a coat, I get that, but I always picture just like this super glue, just kind of going down into all the cracks, into all the spaces in the body of Christ, and that love is what holds everything together in unity. Man, that's what we need to put on. When we're a family committed to unity, nothing's more important than love. And letting that bind everything together, hold everything together in unity. Here's the fifth one. Um, I think this might be the most important one, but I don't know that I like it. I think I probably could have worded it better, but we'll give it a shot. Um, it says this, the cross is more important than the crossfire. What I kept thinking about was um, we live in a, in a shots-fired culture, right? Um, if you're a teenager, preteen, you're a student... Uh, this is a phrase that you'll use all the time. Oh, shots fired, right? Shots fired. We live in a shots fired culture. Right? There's, there's point and there's counterpoint and there's fire and crossfire. And we go back and forth. And our culture loves debate. We love to zing somebody, right? Like say that perfect thing and like burn them really bad. And then like burn them back. And you got burned and reburned and re-re-re-re-burned and toast and all that stuff. And shots fired. This is our culture. But the cross is more important than the crossfire. It has to be. It has to be. In Galatians chapter 2, you've probably heard this, this verse before. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. 
Maybe you've heard this. It says this, um, for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Really big verse. People make plaques out of it all the time. They write songs about it. They sing it. People just love it. But I bet you didn't know this. That in essence, at the end, Paul wrote that at the end of a chapter where he's talking about disagreement. Again, everything in the New Testament highlights this. Paul, in my Bible, it says Paul opposes Peter. That's the heading in Galatians chapter 2. And so he's talking about this entire section where Paul shows up. And sees Peter acting a certain way. And it says that Paul, he confronted Peter. Actually, what it says in my Bible is, Paul's writing says, I opposed Peter to his face. That shot's fired, right? Like, I I didn't just, I had a little bit of a problem with Peter. I opposed Peter to his face. You can just feel the passion as Paul's writing, can't you? This is crossfire. This is my way and your way, and they don't go together, right? And so if you read that passage of Scripture, if you are thinking, and if I've got you engaged, you should be thinking right about now, wait a second, Paul, why would you end with Galatians when it obviously destroys everything you've said to this point? Because you've told us that God's answer is better than our agenda, but it sure seems like in Galatians chapter 2 that Peter had an agenda, and Paul had an agenda, and it seems like Paul won because he opposed him to his face. But that's not what happened at all. Why did Peter, why did Paul oppose Peter? He says it. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, verse 14, I said to Peter in front of all of them, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the gospel. When I saw that what Peter's agenda was, was directly opposed to the gospel. To the answer. That's when I spoke up. Not when Peter wanted it his way and I wanted it my way. But when I could tell that the way Peter was going didn't line up with the gospel. The cross is more important than the crossfire. And we've got to see that, church. We've got to see that. You, you've got to start, I, I tried to do something really cool with video, and I couldn't pull it off because jet lag, and I'm probably not smart enough. But just watch my arms, and let's see if I can pull this off. This is going to be either really good or awful, right? Oh, my goodness, they're so quiet. Can I just talk to you now? It makes me feel so much better. So, so I, in my head, what I saw was this. Is this good, camera people? It doesn't matter. No one's going to be watching. So in my head, what I saw was this. I saw two lines. I'm on the way back from India, and I'm watching, I'm reading Facebook, and, and I'm in my head. Are you uncomfortable? Are you good? Okay. I'm uncomfortable for you. So I saw two lines, right? I saw this line, like this is the way I want to go, and I saw this. This is the way I want to go. And when you have opposite lines, you know, it's called perpendicular, right? Did I get that right, teachers? Okay. I am way out on a limb here. Perpendicular lines, right? They, they don't go together. If they do go together, they're called? Just testing you. I didn't know. I was hoping for the word. Perpendicular, okay? Perpendicular. And they go against each other. And what I saw was this. The cross is more important than the crossfire. God's answer 
is better than our agenda. And these are agendas. These are agendas. I want to go this way, and I want to go this way. And, and, and the phrase that went through my head was something like this. When my way isn't more important than your way, we might actually see the way. And here's what I saw in my head. I couldn't, re- I couldn't replicate it on the video. When the crossfire, when we encounter a different opinion, and I'm just going to use the, the, the election because it's what's so obvious. A Christian votes for Hillary, and they did. Newsflash. Newsflash. I don't want to be a jerk about it, okay? I don't, want, I don't even want to know who you voted for. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for, but I'm telling you right now, as sure as I stand here, there are brothers and sisters in our country that love Jesus possibly more than you and I, and they voted for somebody that you didn't vote for. Okay? Oh, all right, breathe, Paul, breathe. <laughs> they had a way and you had a way. And listen, here's what happened on November the 8th in our country. In the church, forget the country, just in the church, people started to realize, wait a second, these don't go together. How do we exist now? What does the church do now? We, don't get, we can't see eye to eye. And, and here's what God said to me. Man, I wish, I, I, I wish this was a video. It'd be so good. When that happens, if, if sides would just recognize God's answer is bigger than my agenda, it's better than my agenda, the cross is more important than the crossfire, if, if one or both sides would just extend a little grace towards the other, what does it form? The cross. And the cross has got to overlay our agendas. It has to. This morning when I woke up and I was praying over this message, because I don't do these kind of messages a lot. I just, my heart so breaks for our country. I have so much hope for the church that this is, this is a time when the church can rise up and really shine the light of the gospel. But if we keep doing this, we'll never get a message out. But the, the cross is bigger. God's answer is better than our agenda. And here's how you'll know that you've missed it, okay? When what you're doing becomes more important than what he's already done, that's when you'll miss it. When what you're doing, man, why can't I get anybody to serve in the nursery? Well, real Christians would serve in the nursery. What you've just done is you've made your agenda greater than his answer. Why can't I get people to greet? Why why won't anybody in my house make their bed? (laughs) Whatever, the, the struggle's real, right? The minute that we elevate what we're passionate about above the gospel, what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, and this is a hard word, I want you to hear me say it. The minute we let what we're passionate about elevate above the gospel, Jesus says, you're, not, you're no longer working with me. You're working against me. You're not with me. You're against me. And you're not helping me gather. You are now scattering. And Jesus comes to us and says, I've asked you to kind of help me with the harvest and help me clean the house, but you're actually making more of a mess. And I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I have said to unbelievers, I just, before I can even tell you about Jesus, I just feel like I need to apologize for his church. Steve Camp, I'm going way back and I'll close with this. Steve Camp is, um, he, well, now he's a pastor, but he used to be a, a, a Christian singer. I mean, he's still a Christian, and he still sings, I'm sure, but he's a pastor. Anyway, golly, coffee, please. 
he told this story one time. I was at a concert, and he told this story. And he's kind of like, if you're into prophets, um, it would be worth it. I know I'm going old school here, guys, but just Google Steve Camp. Um, amazing songs, prophetic words of the church. But he, he was kind of on the cutting edge of, like, how does the church reach culture and society? And when the church sees it one way and culture sees it another way, and how, if the church is doing this with each other and there's no cross, and he was at a concert, and he told the story. He said, I, when AIDS first broke out, and that's a long time ago, but when AIDS first broke out, he said, I was, I was at a church, and he said, you know, the culture in our, the climate in our culture at that point was, well, if you've got AIDS, we all know that means you're gay, right? I mean, that was it. And so he said the church was basically stepping way back from people that had AIDS. Don't touch them. You know, if, you, if they breathe in a, in a room, two rooms near you, you'll get AIDS. And so there was a lot of fear. And he's at a concert. He's in a church. And so he said that he personally had invited a bunch of people to come that he knew were HIV positive. And they were sitting on the front row on this side of the church. And then directly across the aisle on this side of the church was where the staff of the church was sitting. And so he said, I'm the, you know, I'm there. I'm doing the, I'm doing the concert. And and, and everybody kind of knew, you know, he, he just got up and said, I'm just honored to say that I've got some friends here with me tonight. And, um, boy, they're all just really struggling with HIV positive, And I'm just so glad they're here and we want to love them. And, in, you know, just in a few minutes, you know, like when we all get up and start greeting each other, you know, I just want you to know that these are my friends. And he said he's, he's on the platform and he watches everybody stand up like we do our literary mission. And they're all talking to each other. And he says not one of the pastors walked across the aisle and talked to his friends. Now, he's there to do a Christian concert. I can't even imagine how mad you would be <laughs> singing, I'd be like changing, writing songs right there about hellfire and brimstone. Anyway, he got back up after that was over, and he said this to that church. He turned to his friends, and he said, before I go any further, I just want to apologize to you for what these men have just done. That's how it feels right now, sometimes. Like the church's agenda has risen above God's answer. And the agenda cannot be more important than the answer. The answer is the cross. The answer is the grace of God poured out on all of us through Jesus Christ. And when we really accept that, we will find a way to exist here because we will extend grace and we will hide our agendas in the cross. It's not that God doesn't care about your agenda. He just cares about people a lot more. And so this morning, I want to close this way. I just want to, I want to pray over us. Um, I'm not trying to minimize issues. I'm not, none of that. I'm just trying my best to focus you back on what matters the most. And it's got to be the answer of God through Christ it's got to be so when you encounter somebody that um, did exactly opposite than you and you know that they are Christians and it makes you go well I thought they were a Christian but then I heard they did such and such like you know I thought they were Christians but they wanted Carolina to beat Duke what no real Christian would ever be a Carolina fan and so here's where you are right and here's how you get past it, okay? Here's how you get past it. You say to them, how can you be a Carolina fan and still love Jesus? 
I want to hear your story. Explain that to me. And they start to explain it to you. And then they're going to say, it's funny you ask that question because I've always wondered, how can you be a Duke fan and love Jesus? And you're going to tell them your story. And you're both going to walk away, maybe not agreeing, but with a much clearer picture of the cross. And that's the point. So I just want to pray with you that, that God would just pour his mercy and his grace in your life so that you can go out there and pour mercy and grace on people that really need it. Is that cool? Father, um, I thank you that if nothing else, what we know for sure is that we serve a sovereign and mighty God. I love what you said to Laura. Where are you? I am on the throne. I'm on the throne. I haven't moved. I've always been there. I haven't fallen off. I didn't look away. You are sovereign and you are mighty and you are powerful. And you are also gracious. You're a God who is motivated by love for this world. You so love this world that you sent Jesus. And God, I just pray over our church that we would, we would be people who, while firmly holding conviction would also firmly hold grace and share that with people. That, that the conversations, and I, I pray, God, over our country, I pray that this would be an opportunity for us to engage people in conversations about culture and about truth, about worldviews. This is a great time to carry your truth. But, God, I'm praying that you would help us to put our agendas beneath the answer of the cross. And that we'd be able to extend that grace to others and engage them in conversations that would always point them to the cross. I pray that we would say like Paul did, I'm willing to challenge you because I think you're doing something that goes against the gospel. But instead of challenging you so that I can have my way, I'll just sum up the whole thing by saying, even I have died to myself. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I pray that that would be all of our testimonies, God. And that the gathering would be known as a place where people firmly hold the truth and give grace liberally to those who need it. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for um, your plan and that we get to be a part of it, God. And I pray, God, for your healing to come through us to the nation. In your name, Jesus, amen.